Welcome to Creativity, the podcast where art and engineering collide. I'm your host, Jeremy S. Cook, and today we have a very special ho- special guest named Becky Stern. Becky has all kinds of talents from electronics to woodworking, but one thing that she seems to be extremely talented at is hand drawing and just putting art to paper. So today we're going to talk to her about some of her recent projects, kind of talk about what she, what's going on in her life, and then maybe you can get a few tips to make your drafting, your hand drawing a little bit better yourself. So, uh, so Becky, how, how are you doing today? As well as could be expected. Thanks for asking. <laughs> great, great. So I gave you a bit of an intro, but I guess, I guess as far as yourself, how would you cr- describe yourself from a um, creative standpoint? Yeah, I'm an all-purpose maker, an equal opportunity hobby enthusiast. So I'll ping pong just as easily from leatherworking to sewing to electronics, like you mentioned. Um, so I, I don't, I never really grasped onto one thing as my core craft or making style. I like to try lots of different things, and um, including documenting my projects on the internet. So yeah, I've yeah, you been, do. Um, you do some very, yeah. uh, very pretty work. I'm um, very nice work as far as your camera skills. I, I think just. Anyway, I, thanks. Yeah, I, photography is a big part. Of, <laughs> photography and videography are included in those list of skills. So I like to document my projects. I have a couple hundred tutorials about everything from knitting to um, microcontroller programming uh, published on my own site and non instructables. Nice, nice. And that's uh, what beckystern.com is your own site. Is that yep. correct? Very yeah. cool. So what um what have you been working on recently? Any, any really cool projects? Well, I, fall time brings me back to basics usually because I do teach a class at SVA in a grad program called Products of Design around like electronics and crafts. And so since we're teaching remotely this year, there's a couple of in-person demos that I usually give that I have been working on digitizing um, or, you know, making available online. So one of those is a very basic but very detailed uh, tutorial and video about adding LEDs to a project. So it's meant for the beginner in mind and it's meant to replace the in-person soldering demo that I do for my grad students. Um, but it's just a very basic recipe if you want to add one or more LEDs from a battery pack. And um, the goal there is to like demystify it and make it so people who've never tried that before could try it. Okay. Um, yeah. It and so like- I'll vacillate back and forth between like a very basic tutorial that I think anyone could use to like a complicated project like um, putting LEDs in my boyfriend's scooter. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's um, looks like a, a Cylon from the old uh, Battlestar Galactica show. That's, right. I, yeah. I liked how uh, subtle that was, and then um, you know, it's got the light that that comes down automatically. I guess you didn't do that, but that looks that looks kind of cool too. Yeah, the stock flip up headlight is pretty cool on that scooter. <laughs> it's very uh, very eighties, I guess. Which is, I guess, I guess the point of that, right? The whole point. Yep. The whole point. Yeah, well, to I, ride and have fun. But. <laughs> yeah, have fun exactly. I guess uh, I guess my project recently has been switching to a Macintosh from a PC, which has been um, yeah, a, a that's bit a project. Of, yeah, it's a project. It's um, it's been a fun project. I mean, the Mac is is so well built, but you know, instead of uh, you know, as we touched on earlier, Becky, before the show, we, you know, you got to press the uh, control key instead of the Windows key. Except, you have to retrain yourself for a few different things before it'll feel natural. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I felt like, you know, there was one day, you know, for work, I do a lot of writing, technical writing, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, one day I'm like, okay, I'm going to put away my PC. And I guess this all started my PC. Um, I, won't, I won't say the brand name. It decided to, um, I guess, overheat. And the, they said the motherboard was dead. And so, you know, the next day I'm like, you know, I'd, I've been kind of tempted to, to get into the, uh, I guess the the world of Macintosh, and I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, this is the time. And so ordered <laughs> so that it. 
little bit to say the world of Macintosh instead of like, I bought an Apple. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is that a... Yeah, I don't even know. You know, I th think you're supposed to say, you know, like if you have a PC, it's like, oh, I'm going to bring my notebook over. But, you know, if you have a Macintosh, you have to say, well, I, I'm going to get my MacBook out because, you know, you got to gotta make sure. I don't know about that. I always ever just called it my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, now now I know. I, I don't want to, you know, now that I'm on the Mac the Mac crew, I got to gotta learn the lingo, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's been a bit of a, a, a project. And actually, we were supposed to do this this um, podcast uh, a week or two ago, and Becky was gracious enough to to delay while I screwed around it with OBS Studio and my browser. But as it just so happens, Google supports Chrome a little bit better than Firefox, you know, their own product. So that was what the... Do you know? uh, yeah, what do you know? So that was that was the key to getting everything working. Assuming you can hear this when I publish it, so. <laughs> well, uh, congrats on the new system and good luck continuing to optimize yourself for its performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, it's um, you know, hopefully, yeah, I, I think I think it'll be good. I mean, signs point to to good, so we will see. I guess getting into your your skills and just just hand drawing and stuff. I I read or heard somewhere. I don't know if you've heard this, Becky, but. Something to, to the fact that most children, if you ask them, can you draw, they'll say yes. But then adults, if you ask them, most adults will say will say no. And I guess you've heard this too, too from your reaction, but what? Uh, why do you think that is, first of all? I think it has a lot to do with comparing yourself to others. So when you're a kid, it's expected that you will draw as an outlet, as a thing. And also as a kid, you're expecting to be constantly improving. I think adults... A lot of adults can get into a growth mindset at all, but I don't uh, too. But I don't think it's the default. So kids, kids know they're going to get better. Kids don't necessarily see somebody next to them and say that their drawing is immediately better. They're not as self conscious. And then um, once you've had some time away from, if you don't draw continuously from when you're a kid to an adult, if you haven't done something in a while, then you're not going to consider yourself good at it. And um, good is relative to whatever you have in your head as the benchmark. Uh, good to me in a sketch means like it has all of the details needed to turn it into a real thing if it's a spec for a for a project right so it doesn't matter how like sloppy or uninspired it is if it has all of the right details and is legible to yourself or someone else later um but a lot of people say like oh i'll have to be a to be a good drawer i'm going to compare myself to I don't know, like a painter who uses drawing to prepare for their paintings where like, I'm not, I'm definitely not that good at drawing. So uh, if you don't draw at all, it's easy to compare yourself to somebody who's like the most excellent in the world at drawing. And when you're kid, when you're a kid, I think that bubble is a lot smaller. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. So I guess uh, personally, do you consider yourself a good, a good draw, a good drawer? Is that the... Taking into consideration what I just said, I, I don't think that they're... It's not, I don't think it's fair to qualify yourself as good or bad at drawing. I have in the past considered myself bad at drawing and that uh, it, it like impacts your self-confidence. And I, I come to realize that like you can decide how good at drawing you think you are based on how much drawing you do. If you do a little bit of drawing and it works for you, then you're good at drawing. Um, I went to art school for undergrad and I believe that one of the reasons I got in was my SAT scores and not my drawing portfolio because they made me go to summer school to like boot camp uh, contingent for my acceptance that like you go to this summer boot camp and like really learn how to be an art student. And one of that 
um, classes that we took over the summer was figure drawing, life drawing. And boy, did I suck. And uh, <laughs> I'm glad they let me in because I had a really fun time in college uh, in art school. But uh, it definitely was like a mindset that they that art school like hammers into you. And because other students around me were more naturally inclined towards drawing, it made me feel bad at drawing. Also, you know, it was the only class I got a B in freshman year. But well, <laughs> congratulations. That's uh that's uh different from my from my my college experience. <laughs> well, um, it just didn't come as naturally to me as I was noticing it came naturally to my classmates. And uh, but with practice I did get better. And once I had been drawing at, you know, in class for three hours twice a day for two semesters. I was good at drawing. There was a whole year of like drawing twice a day for a long time. And um, I lost that, of course. Like <laughs> it's a muscle you have to practice. So now my drawing is more limited to uh, sketches for projects that I that I want to build. So just being able to get my idea down on paper. And then I also really enjoy um, drawing uh, still objects. I've been doing a series of uh, tool drawings of tools with uh, watercolor and ink. So um, that's been fun to try to draw something realistic again. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, watching those, um, watching the video, I watched the video about the um, the screwdriver. It looked like a it looked like a, a green green tool of some sort. Um, I thought the inter most interesting thing about this, you know, you talk about, I guess, skills and stuff, but it looked like you weren't you don't use a ruler at all for this, right? Or is that just somehow edited out? Yeah, it's before. So the, the the video goes from the sketch to this more about the watercolor, right? So it goes from the sketch to the watercolor, which skips the sketching part. Like you don't see me sketching and erasing and using a ruler to draw a box around my drawing. Like so you what happens is I draw in my sketchbook. Ooh, sorry if I hit the mic. Oh, no. I draw in my I draw in my sketchbook and um, something like I'll get something like this. This is like a carpenter square. Okay. And um, this drawing you like i don't know if you can see it on the webcam but there's like a bunch of erasing marks and like i might um there's a vice grips in here somewhere where like i messed up and i did it again next door and so what i'm doing in this sketch is i'm like working out all the all the problems and uh and maybe it's not aligned on the paper properly and so it's prepping so that when i go to move to the watercolor paper i can trace it and i don't have to do any of the hard thinking so here's some scissors and you can see that I have like, maybe you can't see, there's like a, a line across to kind of like show me, hey, these two holes need to line up here. So here's a line I'm gonna draw to like help myself. Um, so you don't see that part in the video because the video is about the watercolor, but um, I do use a ruler. I, I do make mistakes. I do erase a lot. And then I take my light panel, I put the sketch down, I put the watercolor paper on top and I trace it. Oh, that, that's interesting. I never, I never, even considered that technique, but I guess that's something you something you learn in art school, I suppose. <laughs> well, it's about when you want to be making design decisions and when you want to be executing. And I find watercolor drawing really relaxing when I don't have to make any decisions, really big ones. So um, the fact that I can have a sketching period where I'm really thinking about what I'm looking at, um, not that I'm not when I'm tracing, but like uh, making something from nothing. And then when I'm tracing and doing the watercolor, it's more about re replicating what I already have decided on. So it's a little bit more relaxing. Okay. Well, that, that makes sense. I, I think, um, it seems to me, you know, I've been, I've been kind of trying to I practice some, I, I say that I, you know, I've been going through an art book by, uh, what's it? 
So, so product to, so what is it? Drawing for product designers. I, I found this on Amazon and anyway, it's been a really good, good book. It's just, uh, goes over some theory and stuff and then it gives you some practical, I guess, practical things to do. And it, it seems like, you know, some, some of the time it's like the hardest part is putting down that first line and then you sketch it and it looks kind of, kind of bad. And then, you know, you do a little bit more and eventually it comes out actually to something that looks pretty, pretty good to my, to my surprise. But you know, you, I don't know. It's like that faith to put that first mark down. I think that's maybe the hardest part. Is that, is that the same for you or, or not? Yeah, for me, it's like a, I'll mess up scale a lot of times. Like I'm not really thinking about, or I try to think about, but can't ever visualize where on the paper. If I start drawing the object here on the paper, I, I don't always have a good sense that it's going to be centered. Or So that's why a sketchbook is great for what I'm doing with watercolor, because I can then take the the paper later and when I'm tracing, like adjust the rotation and position of the drawing within the paper. Um, so I my most frequent mistakes are in the beginning when I'm trying to frame up my drawing. And if I let myself free of that by working in a sketchbook, that's a little bit easier, uh, but it's true. It's get, getting those first broad strokes down and your like overall composition is probably the hardest part for me. Sure. And you, you talked about um, kind of sketching out a, a box to make sure everything was, I guess the right scale or the right perspective. Is that, I guess that's a quite important skill too, I, I would assume. Well, if you're drawing, you're talking about products like physical products, and I'm talking about drawing tools, which are physical products. Um, you there's there are yes some things to understand that you're probably learning in your book about like one point perspective, two point perspective. So if you are drawing something with perspective, you can use lines to help guide uh, where that perspective vanishing point is and make the drawing look more realistic. But I'm just talking about like yeah ratios. It's like well, if I think this bit is kind of halfway down, but I don't really have any other markers on mm -hmm. the object to help me position that, I will just draw. I'll measure it and draw a line halfway, or I'll measure the tool, then measure my drawing and do a little bit of scale math there to um, get things in the right position. Okay, so so like for that um that drill for example, you know when when you were actually sketching it out, were you, were you using a a picture or was the object in front of you, or were you just doing yeah, it by exactly. memory? These are all tools that I have in my workshop. So they're all drawn from observation. Okay. So, but, but you had it in front of you or you had at like, yeah. the, okay, very, very neat. Yeah. I, I saw that. Um, yeah. You can actually get a, a poster of all your, your different, different tools, right? Is that, that's pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. I made a uh, watercolor prints or yeah. Prints online to scan them in and clean them up and then uh, so you can buy the prints individually. And then there's also a poster with all of them. That's on my society six shop. You can find a link from my site. Okay, very cool. Yeah, we'll try to put some put some stuff in the show notes about about that and stuff. Um, yeah, very. You know, I thought it was very very nice and soothing. <laughs> soothing, I guess. Nice for a, I guess, a shop wall or something. Or thanks. Whatever. Yeah, they're soothing to look at. I'm looking at mine right now. It's over my desk, and it's also there's also a very soothing project to work on. This well, these watercolor paintings. So um, I like that the ultimate feeling I got while working on them kind of uh, comes through in the finished product as well. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, well, that's that's pretty neat. I guess. Uh, what's the? I guess what what's the coolest thing you've drawn? What what is your your most favorite favorite drawing you've done? If you can if you can name one. I know oh, that's, that's a, a good big question. question. Yeah, I don't know because I yeah, and a lot of my like drawing is is fifteen years ago, like when I was really drawing a lot, um, and I get and I like would make drawings and give them away. <laughs> I think okay, I have a favorite drawing. Um, when I was early in college and, um, 
was was doing all of that sketching and really like getting better at drawing i um always had to like look at something really carefully and then also very carefully make my marks on the paper i was struggling with being like loose unless mm. we were doing like um gesture drawings with charcoal so i remember going on a, a trip and we were at a restaurant we went to a diner and everyone was my family was with me and at the end of the meal, everyone was sitting around and chatting and we were finishing up our meal and I got my giant sketchbook out and I just did like a really loose uh, contour drawing where I didn't pick up my pen the whole time. And I just looked at the stuff on the table. It was glasses, it was napkin holders, it was silverware, but it was like post meal, everything's kind of like crumpled and messy. And I made this like single line contour drawing loosely sketching out the contents of the table and it came out awesome and it came out in the center of the piece of paper <laughs> and great. I was like really impressed with myself because it was the first time I had ever um been really happy with the outcome of one of these like really loose contour drawings nice so it was like a table and stuff after people were done with their meal is that kind of the it was kind of just the stuff on the table. So like oh, okay. dishes, dishes and glassware and like a, you know, diner napkin holder and a ketchup bottle and, and yeah. Nice. For, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm picturing like the, the aftermath of the last supper, supper or something when they're cleaning Not quite up that messy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I guess, uh, I guess another thing just from, um, I guess motivation standpoint, let's just say, you know, you're, you know, I guess I could say you're an artist. Yeah. This is what you do in, in some ways for your for your job, I, I guess. But as far as somebody, let's just say an engineer or, or anybody that just basically needs to convey a idea to somebody else, I guess why why would somebody pursue being a better being better at, at drafting, at just hand drawing and yeah, whatever? I guess get what I don't know. The screen time maybe it gets you back some screen time um, because if you're using the computer for every little thing then um, it's just, you know, takes over the project. And it, cert people have certain preferences about how they would like to divide their labor to have the most fun during a project. Uh, if it's, you know, in their free time and it's their hobby, you might not like being on the front of the screen for 90% of your project. And so maybe drafting by hand uh, gets you closer up with the materials and gets you away from the screen for a little bit of time. And I find that like, it can also meet in the middle for your digital skills. So if you're not really that good at digital drawing either, um, you can like start on paper, scan it in, trace over it, mm. um, or vice versa, start on the computer, print it out, continue drawing on top of it. Um, I just think it like helps unlock uh, you from getting stuck in the drawing phase, depending on where your skills are and where your preferences lie about uh, where you want to be spending your making time in front of the computer or not. Sure. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I, I guess I think, you know, if I if I do something on, say, like Fusion 360, you know, try to model something up, you know, that does that does limit you to some extent, depending on your skills. And I feel like I've always had the opinion that it's you never want to restrict your projects because you can't draw a hole here or there or whatever it's. But then right. with drafting, you you draft it. Maybe you can figure out what you need to do later from a, from a technical standpoint, I guess, I guess you could say. Yeah. And like I said, if the drawing communicates what you need, then it's not a bad drawing. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. When I've I worked at Adafruit, I used to hold a, uh, I had the, the Ruiz brothers who would model things for me. And I would literally like hold a sketch up to the webcam and then um, they would model it and send it 
over and somebody over at the 3D printing desk would print it and bring it over to me. It was like a very luxurious concierge service, but I had to make oh, sure yeah. that my, ske my sketch request accurately depicted the thing that I wanted, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's nice. It's, um, that's, that sounds, sounds pretty good. I guess like, yeah, the... I don't have that cush arrangement right now. I have to learn how to model myself, but it's okay. I'm pretty decent with Tinkercad these days. Nice. Nice. That's very cool. Well, um, I was thinking we'll go ahead and take a little coffee break. Looks like you, uh, we'll take a little coffee break and then when we come back. Maybe we'll give some, some tips for, so how you can do, do be a little bit better, uh, hand draw yourself. So sound, sound good, Becky? I'm way ahead of you on the coffee. All right. Hey, Jeremy Cook here. And since you're since you're watching this, you're we're having our coffee break. Since we're doing that, we want to say thanks to our top five patrons. That's uh, Brian Moses, Pat Regan, Positive Waves, Old School DIY at GFC sixty two, and Stephen Booker. Thanks so much for supporting us, and thanks for listening and now watching. Um, we really appreciate it. If you guys, if any of you listening want to be a Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash the creativity podcast again that's patreon.com slash the creativity podcast also if you want to share the show that'd be awesome do pass it along thanks so much for watching and we'll get you back to your regularly scheduled show all right so uh welcome back we had our uh, coffee break i using my hmm, unbranded mug which is nice i guess and um anyway so so becky we're, we're talking about I guess drafting what what you do not drafting hand drawing what what you do techniques etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I guess if you were if you're wanting to improve your technique or if you were to give a few tips to somebody who wanted to improve their technique what what could you tell somebody about that? Practice, 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 practice. Drawing is not something you get better at by watching someone else do it. To a point, sure, I mean, you need it, to learn like your basic strategy, but. Except for your, you, your videos, though. Yours, yours, yours do really. No, you watch my watercolor videos because you want a soothing, something soothing and completionist, not because you want to learn how to draw. The whole thing is in fast motion, and I don't even actually do any source drawing. I just do tracing. So um, I'm not trying to teach you how to draw with those videos, so it's okay for me to say you're not going to learn how to draw from those videos. You're not going to learn, <laughs> but you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> sure. The... Um, I would say like, yeah, sure. There's a couple technique things, learn two point perspective, learn one point perspective. But the thing that's going to make you better at drawing is just doing it. So if you dedicate an amount of time every day or an amount of time every week that you can consistently practice, that's the only way you're going to get better. Sure. W would there be like a, a book or something you, you would recommend for working through? Or, I mean, I know I, we, I don't know, I've been using this one, which seems good, but maybe, maybe there's one you really like. There's a, um, I don't know about a book about, there's plenty of books about drawing. I don't have any to recommend offhand. Uh, I, because I was lucky enough to have art school tutelage where I had, you know, a, a teacher over my shoulder coaching me through some, some of my early drawing, but that's, you know, life drawing, like draw these apples or draw this person. Um, so I would say uh, if you're starting from scratch and you want to do product drawings, there is a free instructables class called Design Sketching. Oh, nice. That's pretty good. My colleague, uh, Jonathan Odom, made that class, and it's it's very good. It's, it's similar to the cover of that book that you just showed about product sketching. So it's really very much related to um, sketching your product design ideas, but goes over the perspectives and um, some shading stuff with markers. Oh, so nice. I don't know that that's... Um, that's not like an ultimate beginner's drawing resource about everything, but it is one free uh, piece of content that I know and can recommend right now. Um, but again, just practicing. Like, so if you, you don't need a book 
to go out with a sketchbook and look at a bowl of fruit in your kitchen or look at the outside scene out your window and just draw what you see and dedicate the time and to actually just doing the drawing versus analyzing how your drawing is turning out the whole time, right? If you say, I'm going to draw for two hours and I'm just going to, I'm going to draw out my window and uh, focus on little bits of it at a time and don't be, try not to be critical, try to be analytical about what you're seeing and put it down on paper. And then after the two hours, then look at it and say, hmm, how's this overall going? Should I start over? Should I make another draft? Should I erase this part and get the proportion better? Like the only way, you can't be hypercritical the whole time you're working or A, it won't be fun. B, you won't learn anything. Yeah. That's you're, a- getting, you're getting in your own way. You have to give yourself time to actually do the creating and, and then reflect on it later. I, I think you bring up a good point that I guess I guess I've noticed too is just you know when you haven't practiced and when you're <clears throat> looking to to draw something you know I I think I would assume that somebody like you who's very good at it could could sit down and, and draw something in fifteen minutes but that's not not really the case at all is it? it it takes time to to do even a a good sketch I mean maybe you could maybe you can do it in fifteen minutes but not it depends five on what minutes, the goal certainly. is like if you you were talking about how do you get into drawing and get started with drawing. And the only way you do that is by dedicating multiple hours at a time to just drawing. But if you're looking to uh, get better at sketching for helping yourself make other projects, it's not quite the same. You you could do um, thumbnail sketches instead, right? Spend an hour and spend 10 minutes on one of each thumbnail sketch and then t- pick which thumbnail sketch you like the best and make that one bigger. So Yes, you have to put the time in to start out drawing at all. But like once you have a sense of sketching, I don't think the, that it should take that long to make a good sketch. I made <laughs> I made a sketch for a project I want to build. It's a, it's a dust cover for my 3D printer. And the sketch took me five minutes. It's just a, a drawing of the side of the printer and then like a loose loop over the top that represents the piece of fabric and how long it needs to be. And then at the bottom, I based on that overall sketch, I figured out that I need like two pieces of fabric on the sides that are shaped like mountains and one big rectangular piece of fabric uh, that goes from the front to the back uh, as a big uh, stripe. Okay. And so I, I that, guess... sketch, that sketch took five minutes and it has all the information I need to, to do the next steps of the project. And what you're holding up there, it almost looks like a, almost like a really loose tent over your 3D printer. Is that kind of the is that kind of the idea? Like you, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yep, basically, that's all a cozy is. <laughs> oh, a, a co- huh. Interesting. Cozy. I, I, and all a cozy is is a dust cover. That's all I want to make is a dust cover because I'm, I'm sick of dusting my 3D printer. I'd never really thought of doing it that way. So you're actually gonna gonna make it with fabric on the outside and take it off and I guess wash it or whatever. You don't need to wash it. It just keeps the dust off the printer. <laughs> so when I, like, You're I'm right. going to make it with a little pouch that attaches to the um, filament spool so that it kind of uh, folds up into its own little pouch and then can be deployed over top of the whole thing. And I'll put a couple magnets around the bottom edge to like stick it to the printer because the printer is um, metal. And uh, that way it will, yeah, it'll just prevent the dust from getting all up into the rubber belts and stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I'd never never considered that i guess um my my printer's in the garage so i don't um i don't know i probably don't take care of it as well as i should there's less dust in your garage though because dust is primarily made of human skin so uh it, it like it's dustier in here because i I live here every day right you're not hanging out in your garage that much every day maybe sure i mean i wish i was more but not as 
not as much as I'd like to. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> still, if it's not getting dusty, you don't need a dust cover. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good that's a good point. So, um, yeah, no, that's cool. And and I guess the neat thing about that, that I mean, that drawing, it makes me feel a little bit better about mine, to be honest. Because if I did something in five minutes, it would look roughly like that too, a fu- functional, but not not necessarily beautiful from a from an observer's standpoint. And I think that's maybe maybe a difference that people don't appreciate just you know you think about it if you're drawing something to be functional to make this into a, a draft a um, draft and to make to make it in a 3d model later you're not you're doing it for yourself not to show off to somebody else but something a little bit more refined like your, your drills I keep coming back to that but that was a um you know even just the, the bones of that I'm sure that took you much longer because it was quite a bit more refined yeah, well, I was trying to draw it uh, accurately proportioned. It doesn't matter if my sketch of my 3D printer isn't the right proportion exactly, you know? Sure. Um, there's a lot more detail. When I'm trying to make the drawing as the object is a lot different than the sketch as a stepping point to the final object. Okay, that, that's an interesting distinction. So you you said that the sketch as the object, that is the product of your work, whereas the... Um... What did you say the the sketch as the stuff? If I'm making a watercolor drawing, the end product is a watercolor drawing. So the drawing better be good. If the end product is a is a dust cover for my 3D printer, the drawing that is a step on the way there is not evaluated with the same criteria. Right. No, that's a good that's a good point. So when you when you so make it's all about defining success for yourself, right? If you define sex success as this sketch helps me make my thing, then that's a good thing. But some people have a more natural ability for me. If you look at like Laura Kampf's illustrations in her sketchbook for something similar to this, it probably will look better because she's more naturally inclined towards sketching than I am. But that doesn't make her better at art or better at making. Uh, it just makes her sketchbook a little more interesting. Well, that's uh, that's true. It's um, I've been trying to do you know sketches for some of my videos and stuff like the intro. And it's like that just takes, I don't know, It's it's like there's this, it's nice that you define that because I, I don't think I had a real definition of that before. Just, you know, some of them look very, very crude, like the one you showed, not to, not to insult it. And some of them look quite a bit better, but it's, it's all about the effort you put in what what you're wanting to get out of it, I, I guess. Um, whether that's the, the final product or something that's, that's not, not quite, I guess. Yeah. And there is, I guess there's that middle ground or, you know, I have also had sketches be a part of video tutorials where, you're explaining it with your voice and you're drawing it at the same time in order to illustrate a point or actually convey some knowledge, make someone learn something. And I think that's a little bit of a different skill too. It, on top of drawing is the ability to use the sketch to illustrate what you're saying in a way that enhances the the knowledge transfer. Okay. Well, that's kind of a, I guess a nice segue into something else. I mean, you you film your, your drawing or your, your art process quite a bit. Um, what kind of, what kind of setup do you have? Do you, do you, do you, first of all, do you do it as a continuous video or do you do it like a time-lapse, like photo after photo and then stitch them together? What do you, what's your preferred? My watercolor videos are full recordings. Although (laughs) my hard drive space starts to regret it after like the 30th one. <laughs> because it's like a 4K. I try to keep each drawing, I try to keep it like around an hour um, so that I don't get too much footage, but um, it's a lot of footage. But yes, I take the full recording. 
Um, sometimes I do two camera angles, the overhead and the like side sort of angle. And um, then I speed up the footage in Final Cut and use the multicam function to switch between the um, synced camera views. Okay. So, so yeah, you don't do like a actual time lapse, which is photo after photo. It's a, I, I guess that's what I thought. It's, it's, it gives you a nice, a different, it's like a different look to each of them, which I guess there's nothing, I guess it depends on what the art, what you want to put out as an artist, whether you want to do it that way or not. It's for sure. And with a, a time-lapse, there's a different capture style. Like you mentioned, like you get um, these moments in time stitched together. So you get a little bit more um, abstracted video of what the process was actually like, because you're, you have to interpolate motion between two or more photos. Whereas with the sped up, uh, you can um, not only can you like adjust the, speed of the compression more easily. Like I can make it 700% or I can make it 600% um, normal time, like more easily mm. than I could with a, like a, a time-lapse with a fixed number of photos would be like blocky or less blocky, depending on how right, short you made right. it. But a, a continuous video when you shorten it, it's just going to look like more scrambly or less scrambly based on the person's movement. But um, you're going to see the complete motion. You're going to see the motion of the paintbrush and that is important to me in those videos um, because it's about the soothing process of mm. painting watercolors and like expressing how I how that's nice to me. And the the blocky sort of um, quality of a time lapse didn't really like suit that in my mind. That's, that's but an, it's true that no, regular time lapses take up so much less space on your computer. Oh my gosh, that's an <laughs> interesting point though because I I kind of like the. Yeah, depending on what it is, the, the blockiness of the time lapse, but but yeah, if you're going for a soothing, you know, flow from here to there, you, you certainly you want to have it all connect correct correctly. Um, do do you film in 4K or do you do it in 1080 when you? I are... do film in 4K, yeah, because I like to crop in. I edit in 1080 still, so um, what that gets me is. Um, you know, I can expand, I can scale up the video by up to 200% uh, without losing any final quality. So that helps me crop out junk in the background or um, the edge of the table or uh, also allows me to like rotate my shot and make the, mm, you know, lines on the, the wood on the table, like align with the frame a little better. Like, mm. yeah, make the whole composition a little more balanced. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure your hard drive does hate you for that. Hard drives. Oh, hard drives. <laughs> well, what kind of what kind of uh, memory setup do you, do you have for all this? I lost. I lost track of how many terabytes. Oh wow. Well, that's. Uh, let's see. Ten, ten. That's twenty. Ten. That's thirty. Two times eight. Uh, eight times two is sixteen. Plus thirty is forty-six. There's another eight. So that's fifty-two. Uh, more than fifty-two terabytes. Just on my loose count. Fifty-two terabytes. Uh, at least that's. That's a lot more than I have. So do you, I've, been do you, doing, I've been making video for a long time, but it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, you know? Like well, my whole Make make Magazine catalog of videos, which was like 80-something videos and their source footage, takes up like one fraction of the hard drive space I need for like one year's worth of projects right now. Yeah, well, <clears throat> so, so you save all your, all your old files and stuff, all the yes. resources, mm -hmm. et cetera. Yeah, no, I understand that. I've gotten to that point too, and it's, um, you know, in my head, I wonder, you know, is this really necessary? But 
you know, you never know when you're going to need it. And you did spend a lot of time on doing it. So I think well, I think you're like 20 years from now, I'm going to want it. That's how I think about it. It's like, it'll be an archaeological thing 20 years from now. Like, I, I mean, I think about the VHS tapes that I uh, have digitized over the, gotten digitized over the last couple of years from like family uh, home movies. And like, those are so cool. Right. And they're from 30 years ago. And I just, I don't know, 30 years from now, maybe I'll think the same thing about my previous work. Yeah. You just wonder what, you just wonder what people think, I guess. And, and you know, it's, um, I was listening I to, want my source footage. It's yeah. true. I like to keep all my source footage if I can. <laughs> no, I've, uh, I do remember one time somebody requested a, um, I'd made a video of me assembling a crib for, for my son actually. And, um, somebody's like, Oh, do you have this in HD footage? I'm like, maybe I do, maybe not. And they were going to supposedly pay me for it, but I couldn't quite find the source file. And I don't know. It seems like they lost interest. And from then on, I've just been kind of keeping all that and nobody's actually requested anything since then. So it's been, well, when they do, you'll be ready. I have had journalists request over the years, like clips of certain things in order to use, you know, like pad out the B roll of whatever piece they're making. And that's come in handy when I have the original source footage and can just upload a couple clips. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh that's very nice. Um, yeah, well, uh, I mean, is there anything else you want to say? Any, any other big uh, big tips about a drawing that you'd like to tell people out there in the world? It's a lot like documenting your projects in that, like, the tools you have available to you are the best tools to get started. There's no such thing as, like, oh, I need this certain sketchbook or I need this certain set of pencils. Like, no, you can't really. There's no nothing more basic than putting pencil to paper. So um, <laughs> starting out with printer paper and a number two pencil is a totally fine, just as fine as getting a whole set of uh, different hardnesses, drawing pencils and a fancy sketch sketchbook. Sure. Um, you'll develop, you'll develop taste for tools over time. That's, that's how it works, but there's nothing that can replace practice and you don't need special tools to practice. You, you know, I, that just reminds me one, one thing I saw with the, um, some of your techniques, it seemed like you rotate the paper around to get the right. Oh angle. yeah. I'm a big paper rotator. Oh, oh. it's totally my style. Yep. Okay, mm -hmm. I, not I, everybody's like that. <laughs> I'm hesitant to do that, but I feel like it's something that maybe needs to be done. I guess that's maybe don't be afraid to rotate your paper too. Yeah, don't be. If that's a good tip, I didn't think about it. I am a big paper rotator. Um, it's just because I'm like, oh well, how do I get? I don't want to get smudges when you're doing watercolor. You don't want to smudge the pencil all over the paper. So rotating it, and and when you're painting it too, because it's wet. So um, rotating the paper, I think, is the it's really key in watercolor because you uh, need to be able to get your hand to the dry spot by avoiding the wet spot. Mm. But for drawing, um, I just, for me, like sometimes turning the drawing upside down reveals new things about it. Mm. And so looking at it from, uh, if, if you're like trying to draw something and it, your, your brain is, you know, recognizing what the objects are, maybe it makes it hard to like look at just the negative space that the form takes up or, or around you like looking at the object in a different way. So negative space is one of those things where it's like the space, draw the space that the object does not take up. And by virtue of that, you'll get at least one edge or contour of the object you're trying to draw. Um, so negative space visualization. And then if you're drawing from a photo, you can turn the photo upside down, turn your drawing upside down and just try to draw the shapes that you see. So it oh, takes the that's... like 
that takes the recognition part out of your brain and rely, then you're relying only on your observation of shapes and relationship. And it kind of takes some of your assumptions away and allows you to be more objective. Hmm. You know, you, you've put a lot more thought of it into this than I did. I, I thought it was just, I thought it was just a matter of being able to draw a line straight from a, you know, rather than down to the right or that left. Too. Or... Oh, that too. Cause like where you, you know, your own control over your hand movement matters. But, uh, so I turn the paper for different reasons. I turn the paper when I'm doing watercolor, just logistically to like get the paintbrush into the dry spot without smudging the wet spot. But you also might try turning your paper or turning your reference material on its side or upside down in order to get a different perspective on what you're doing. Hmm. Yeah. I'd never, I'd never considered that. That's, that's just, that's very interesting. I, but you're right. If you turn something upside down and try to, to draw the shapes, it's not, it certainly, it means something different to you than it did. It, you're just not allowed to use your, your brain subconscious assumptions about what you're seeing. Hmm. Well, so it frees you a little bit. That's very interesting. Um, well, yeah, well, thanks. Uh, you know, thanks so much for giving us those tips and stuff. Um, I guess just some other, I guess other things I was seeing, and I saw you got your ham license. Um, so that's congratulations on that. That's, that's pretty, Thank you. pretty neat. Um, I do love certifications. Like I got my motorcycle license. I got my ham license. I'm licensed to ill. <laughs> licensed to ill. Yeah. No, it's, um, and I get the reference. So good for you. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I guess motorcycles that, um, we say motorcycle, you and you, you ride a scooter, I guess, right? I have a scooter right now, yeah. but I also have a motorcycle. It's just in the shop. Oh, okay. So yes, I can shift. Here in New York City, here in New York State, if you take your exam on a scooter, then you only have a provisional motorcycle license and you can only drive non-shifting vehicles. Mm. But I have my full license with shifting. I just don't have any shifting bikes that are up right now. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I, I cannot criticize because I, I don't drive. I've never ridden a motorcycle, so I don't know. But I've... Uh... There's a big culture difference, I noticed. Like my Vespa doesn't... When you're on a... Uh, my vintage Honda gets a lot of... We call them 180s, like people who, you know, rubbernecking when you go by looking at your like cool bike. There's a lot of bike pride mm -hmm. and a lot of other bikers will give you an acknowledgement. They'll do this like little handlebar wave that they do or they'll somehow acknowledge you. Um, and when I'm on the scooter, like other motorcyclists don't acknowledge me at all. Because <laughs> like maybe they're like kind of ashamed, like there's a little little less pride in being on the scooter. They just don't think, yeah, they just don't think of it as a full motorcycle. Um, and then mm. other scooter drivers, it's not really that close of a club. So it's it's like, it's, it's like maybe. It just doesn't feel as like welcoming. Hmm. So yeah, I guess, I guess you're getting somewhere, but you're not like, it's not like a club. It's like you're getting from here to there, not necessarily. Kind of. I get that impression. Yeah. And there's just like a lot more of them too, a lot more scooters. So that means that like the population who has them are more diverse and less unified um, around being like, Hey, I recognize you, you know, they're just everywhere. Yeah. So I do. Um, uh, but I, I wear full motorcycle gear when I'm on my scooter, which does signal to some people if they know what to look for. They're like, ah, that person is not a casual rider hmm. who, you know, because you see people on scooters in shirt skirts and with dress shoes and with their work, you know, their tie and suit on. And they're not really like they're commuting. They're not <laughs> very safe if they were to be going fast. And maybe they're wearing like one of these half helmets or something. I have a full motorcycle helmet, I'm wearing my motorcycle jacket, my motorcycle shoes and my gloves. Okay. Like if you didn't see me with the bike, you would assume I was getting on a 
a different motorcycle. And so I like that's what gives me a little bit of cred, but it's it's uh Got like it's definitely app. interesting the experience of uh having those two different bikes. But yeah, I love riding. I love riding everything. Oh yeah. No, I, I would love to too, but it just seems a little slightly too dangerous for me. But good, you have kids, good for right? You. Don't do it I, if you have kids. Yeah. And don't do it, kids, if you're watching this and 20 years or whatever. Well, I wish I had gotten my motorcycle license 10 years earlier than I did. I got my license in 2016. And like I, when I was in grad school in Arizona, it was like 2008, 2009. I, I thought about it. I came close. It's like really flat there and dry. So it's a pretty easy place to learn. Um, but I didn't. And I moved back to New York and I was thinking, oh, well, New York's so much scarier. But it's not really because the traffic moves a lot slower. Mm. Speed limit here on the surface streets is 25 miles an hour. So mm. you, it kind of limits the amount of trouble you can get in. So the scooter has to be like a just a amazing mode of transportation for a, a place like New York City is, I mean, just being able to go through traffic and stuff. Is that maybe that's legal? Great. I don't know. I mean, you're not supposed to filter. That's illegal. It's allowed in California, but it doesn't mean you don't do it sometimes. But um, when it's safe, uh, like filtering to the front of a stoplight is not quite as dangerous as like filtering between cars that are moving on the highway. Right. Like I draw I draw a pretty I, I ride very conservatively in terms of uh, my own safety uh, and try to regard all of the laws with their initial intent. Um, but it is really like a, I call my scooter the traffic scalpel. Like the traffic it's, scalpel. Gr it's great. It's awesome for New York City. Like I wish I had, yeah, like I said, I wish I got it 10 years sooner because it unlocks uh, this like range of travel in, in my city and maybe some other like older colonial style cities who are all similarly, um, strangled by their sm small old roads um it's uh like that medium distance like always in new york city there's public transportation so to get someplace isn't that big of a deal but you kind of feel like you're you know you go underground you, you get on the train you pop up somewhere else the scooter or motorcycle really unlocks like all of the land in between here and there so like we could stop at a restaurant that's not close to a subway station, it kind of unlocks uh, a range of travel in New York City that I have never had unlocked to me before with just the combination of public transit and a bicycle. Oh, sure. There's a bicycle's got to be pretty good too, though, right? I... It is. Bicycle's great. I rode my bicycle for, for 10 years in the city before I um, entertained the idea of getting a motorcycle license. So that's definitely my first transport love is hmm. riding a bicycle. The scooter just, you know, doesn't get you out of breath. <laughs> sure yeah you <clears throat> show up to class or whatever yeah show up to teach class and you know you're all sweaty, sweaty exactly and, sweaty you know yeah and nobody wants that no I guess. <laughs> well but you're on time though so people do so that's good i would guess the subways have been getting slower since uh hurricane sandy like the they're trying to do the that happened in 2012. So I know that's a while ago now, but the subways are really, the corrosion is really starting to become a problem. Hmm. Um, so the subways are a lot slower than they were um, before Hurricane Sandy. And I don't take them that often because I work from home. And when I do commute, it's usually on my scooter unless it's super cold. Um, and uh, like I noticed over teaching over the last um, eight years, every fall that like so many more of my students were late last year not because they were like bad at being on time, but because they would text me and they'd be like, Becky, I swear I got on the train an hour and a half before class, but I'm still going to be late. Hmm. So like it, I notice objectively that it's slower and I know it's the corrosion, but they're working hmm. on it. It's, it's interesting. The scooter is definitely like a great, I, I, it's awesome. It's way better than having a car. You can park the thing anywhere. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've always been in, intrigued by the scale of things in like somewhere like New York, like 
Uh, my last job for somebody else, I, I drove, I guess, 30 miles to work and it took me about 30 minutes. But, you know, New York City, you could be five miles away and it's like an hour commute, right? It's, that's Yes, exactly. I, I, yeah. I, I just find that interesting for some reason. I I don't know. Well, but there's a lot more density happening, right? So there's a lot more stuff in that five miles. There's the same amount of stuff, right? Or more stuff in that five miles than there is in your 30 mile commute. Oh, yeah. Th at the time, it was probably exponentially more. more. So um, Yeah, I think my commute to school when I, I we're not we're teaching remotely this semester, but I think it, it takes about it takes between 30 and 45 minutes and it's about four and a half miles. Okay. How, how have you liked uh, remote teaching? Is that pretty hard or easy or? It's okay. I feel like I'm like uniquely suited for it, right? Because I have all these tutorials online that I already use to teach. Like I'm already leaning heavily on resources I created to support my in-person teaching that are still around, like my plush plush toy tutorial and other uh, LED diffusion guide. Those are both resources I've made for my students over the last couple of years. So um, it's a little challenge. The most challenging thing is the time difference. Some of my students are in Asia. Hmm. And so there's a 12 hour time difference and um, about to be 13 after we do daylight savings time. So that's a little bit challenging in order to find the time to sync up with them. Um, if they're not like a super night owl, like sometimes I'll get a message from them. It's like 3 p.m. my time. And I'm like, wow, this person is up really late um, their time. But um, otherwise, it's been good. Uh, I get to be in the comfort of my home and, you, you know, I have my like voiceover microphone all set up already and my light already here. And the only upgrade I did that I hadn't had before was a gigantic ethernet cable to connect my router at the other end of the house. I had been, you know, leapfrogging with Wi-Fi devices and there's just nothing that replaces ethernet for that good, like sound quality and, um, uh, you know, faster internet, no matter what you do, if you have the ethernet plugged in. So. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, actually I, I should thank you. I, you inspired me to, uh, to, um, go through a whole ordeal where I tried to put in another cable modem. And then eventually I just paid somebody to, to run an ethernet cable because, you know, at sometimes, sometimes money is the best tool for, for something. I, I think. Keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, well, Becky, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Is, is there anything else you want to, I guess, plug or where can people, where can people find you? Yeah. Yeah. I would love it if you would subscribe to my YouTube channel, but you can find everything about me on beckystern.com. BeckyStern.com. And I guess on YouTube, I guess you're, you're Becky Stern on YouTube too, I guess. Yeah. I'm Googleable. You nice. can Google me. Do you know that song reference? I probably not. do not know that one. So <laughs> look it up. It's a good one. <laughs> you so, can Google it. <laughs> Google it. That's right. Or DuckDuckGo it if you're into privacy or that's true. what have you. So, all right. Well, thanks so much, Becky. And, uh, well, hope thanks you, Jeremy hope for you having me. Great rest of the day. <laughs> you too, as well as it can be expected. That's right. Let's see ya.